You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning on this wet Sydney day. Congratulations for getting here. As Janice said, we've got the keen beans in here. You will get extra awards in heaven. That is proven theologically. Some of you got full immersed baptised on your way to church this morning, I can tell. And we've got some exciting things coming up at church here. That choir is going to be awesome. Three weeks' time, we're going to take over the service. It's going to be amazing. Bring your friends. Let's pack this place out. What a great chance to invite people from our community. We've got the election coming up this weekend. You know, this whole week, we've had the, um, the pre-poll in here. And my kids have kind of been in here. We've been doing stuff, and they've seen it happen. And I got home during this week, and my eldest, Josh, said, Oh, Josh, how many of those people have voted for you? And I said, I didn't know how to answer that. He kind of thought I was, you know, running for office or something like that. So I said, lots, son. Lots of people have voted for me. (laughs) Let him believe his father's a champion. (laughs) So, hey, thanks so much for sharing before. It's been awesome. We're in our final week in our crazy busy series. It's so good to hear from each other. I tell you what, that's a bit of a snapshot of small groups. You know, we launched our small groups about less than two months ago. And it is an awesome opportunity to get together and talk about what God's doing in our lives through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer. What's God teaching us? How's he molding and shaping us? And so thank you for sharing. Really appreciate that. Um, God's been changing us, shaping us, molding us, and using each other and his word to do it. So it's pretty great. We're in our final week of Crazy Busy. And I'd love to pray and ask that God would help me bring together all that we've been talking about in the last month and a half. So can you join me? Let's pray come before God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come here on a wet and rainy morning. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to focus. The next 30 minutes or so, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. We want to change, and we seek you in doing that. So, Lord, we come before you as your people me as your servant, and use me this morning to preach your truth in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, soon after we um, moved to the U.S., I was in a band for a number of years, another band story, you know, you love it, and um, we, as soon as we got there, we kind of figured out, man, we need a mode of transportation. We need to get around. There's eight of us, kind of four guys in the band, four wives, we've got to get something to get us around. So we bought a bus, it was pretty Messed up kind of bus. It had eight bunks in the back, a good little living room, but we bought it off eBay. That is not a joke. We bought the bus off eBay. It had a lot of quirks. It broke down its fair, fair share of times, but this bus was just hilarious. And we bought a, a trailer, a six by 12 foot trailer to kind of lug all our gear behind the bus. And I tell you what, it was an exposing time because the band was made up of four North Shore guys, musicians with musician hands. And we just had no idea about mechanics. We had no idea what we were doing. When the bus would break down, we'd be scratching our heads, and the trailer would have issues, and we didn't know what we were doing. And this became just apparently clear, dangerously so, one hot summer afternoon somewhere in the south of the USA going 60 miles an hour on an interstate when the trailer came off. Yes, yeah, some, some of you guys are nodding. You've heard this story before. I'm recycling. That's okay. Uh, it, it was, it was a, a, a day I'll never forget. We uh, were driving, we're all huddled up 
close to the front of the bus to get the air conditioning because the air conditioning in the, the main body of the bus was broken as per normal. It's like a 45-degree day, 100-degree day, as they say in the States. Hot as. We hear this bang, 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 getting quiet. We're like, what was that? We sent someone down to the back of the bus, and they looked in the back window, and they yelled, the trailer's gone. Woo. So we pulled the, pull the bus over as fast as we could. Get, get out of the bus, and um, like I said, it is hot. We've got, we got shorts on, no T-shirts, and we're getting flip-flops, running down the interstate a couple of hundred metres, and all we can see is smoke. And I tell you what, I haven't felt like that since. I don't think just that sick feeling in your gut of what has happened. Praise Jesus, we get to the trailer, and it hadn't run into a minibus full of kids. You know, that, that was honestly what I thought, oh, my gosh. But it had miraculously come to a stop and kind of run into an embankment on the side of the interstate. But what had happened, the smoke was coming from all these spot fires. What had happened was so hot, the trailer had come off and the bottom of the tow bar had hit the asphalt about three or four times. And every time it did, it created sparks. And the sparks went into the really dry grass and started significant fires. The biggest one, almost as large as this building, it had gone that fast. And the fires were going really quickly towards the bush, you know, to the forest, as they call it, right near the interstate. So we are, you know, like I said, flip-flops, no shit. We've got our T-shirts beating these fires, trying to put them out. Thankfully, this truckie pulled over and put it out with a fire extinguisher, these, these spot fires. It was just in, incredible. Now, the trailer, miraculously, we truly believe God was with us. It, it didn't flip. The emergency services got there, so that's the first time they'd ever seen a trailer come off and not flip. Uh, all our stuff, like merch and all our bank and everything was in there. It had just come to a, a stop and just buried into kind of the side of the interstate. I tell you what, that memory is so vivid. And Pip was there too. She was driving the bus. It's not your fault. It was a very scary time. Uh, and uh, I tell you what, that, that's, that memory will probably never leave me. It was, a, it was a significant time. We thank God no one was hurt. And uh, it just, it, it was a, a bit of a scary time. Now, why do I tell that story? Just purely for entertainment value. Okay, John 15. <laughs> Today we finished this series on crazy busy, right? We finished this series on crazy busy, and we know that this issue of crazy busy is just not going to go away. We hear, we hear six sermons on this issue of just the crazy business in our life. We meet in our small groups, we discuss it, and yeah, we've got it, right? We, we're never going to have this as a, as a problem anymore. Yes? No. This is a, a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. We know that. It's always going to be an issue for us living in a city like Sydney, okay? But the question is, how do we stop just that anxiety-inducing, that overwhelming nature of this cultural moment of this anxiety and busyness eating away at our souls? How do we do that? How, How do we become flourishing members of our churches, our families, our communities, our workplaces? The answer is, without oversimplifying things too much, the five weeks we've spent a lot of wonderful time talking about some good things. The answer is being connected to Jesus. It is the antidote to crazy busy is remaining in Christ. And the old language is abiding in Christ. Right? The answer to crazy busy, the antidote to crazy busy is remaining in Christ. That's what I want to explore today in all its beautiful simplicity. Remaining in Christ. Okay, linking back to the story. That trailer, when it came off unhitched from the bus, what happened to it? Lost all power, didn't it? Lost all power, lost all sense of direction, lost all sense of purpose, created havoc not as much as it could have, 
but it created havoc. When the, when, the, when the trailer unhitched from the bus, lost all power, direction, and purpose. The key to living a life of flourishing, direction, purpose, maturing as Jesus followers is being connected to the source of all life, Jesus Christ, the true vine. Now, this morning, we're going to explore this by unpacking just the richness that is John chapter 15. You could preach multiple sermons on John chapter 15. I have written multiple sermons on this this week. There is so much content. You're only going to get one. Don't worry. You're just going to get one. Jesus says he is the true vine and that all life, all fruit comes from him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Some things, a bit, nothing. We will not grow, we will not have fruit in our ministry, we will not have fruit in our very lives without Jesus. Now, by now, you might have figured out, or you you might have noticed, we've got a little bit of a stand here with some lamps. I'm all for the visual learners in the room. I'm a bit of a visual learner, and so I just wanted to kind of create a bit of a simple illustration for us here. We are these different lamps. That's you, that's me. And this is Jesus, the true vine, the source of all power, life, and goodness. When we connect to Jesus, we receive life, we receive light. And when we don't, we don't. Let me ask you a question. Do you want joy in your life? Do you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Let me ask you, do you want a great marriage? Do you want to have great friendships? Do you want to have great relationships? Do you want a great relationship with your kids? This is life to the full, being connected to Jesus, the true source of all power. I'll leave that there for all us visual learners. That's helpful, isn't it? Being connected to the true source of all power. The text we're looking at today, John 15, is written, happens, occurs in Jesus' last week before his death. And Jesus is just sowing in, pouring into his disciples, trying to prepare them for a time when he won't be with them physically. And he uses this metaphor of the vine. Now, it's one of the famous I am statements in John's gospel. There's lots of them. I'm the good shepherd. Well, there's seven of them. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the gate. John 15, I am the vine. Now, us city dwellers, we might struggle with, I am the good shepherd. You know, Pete Jonas up there, he's from Gunnedah. He, he might understand. Are there sheep in Gunnedah? Yeah, I probably should have done my research. Just nod. Help me. Okay, good. There are. He, he, you know, but the, the good shepherd, we've lost kind of that, you know, that, that, that's more work. But the vine, ah, vineyard. Vine, wine, that's something us Mossman folks can relate to, right? We understand that. And again, I'm just, I'm for you visual learners this morning. Here is a picture of a vineyard. Doesn't that look beautiful on a morning like this morning when it is storming and raining out there? Aren't they beautiful places, vineyards? My wife and I got engaged in a vineyard trying to make it a romantic experience in Adelaide, the vineyard. And there it is. There's fruit on the vine. You see how connected the fruit is to the vine there? It is intimately connected with the vine. Why does Jesus use this metaphor of the vine? 
In the Old Testament, the vine was a common metaphor for Israel, the people of God, that through them, the rest of the the nations, the rest of the people would experience blessing from God by being grafted and by being attached to the vine that is Israel, the people of God. Now, for Israel, this involved the temple, sacrifice, law, priesthood, and Jesus is saying an absolutely immense thing here in John 15. He's saying all of that is going to be done away with. Now, if you want to seek God, if you want to seek the blessing of God, the people of God, you do it through me. It's a massive claim. And the disciples are just, it's doing their heads in. They're trying to understand, how is Jesus fulfilling? You are now, but what about all this? Done away with now Jesus, the source of all life. And Jesus says, in the first verse of this passage for today, something fascinating. He says this, have a look. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. When Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he's implying that there are false ones, isn't he? Jesus is implying there are false ones. There are other vines we can attach ourselves to that look like life, right? That look like the answer. That look like this is where it's going to be meaning and satisfaction and purpose for me. I'm going to connect with that. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, but there are other vines out there that look good but are false. Now, what can these look like? We could spend weeks just unpacking so many of them, but I chunked them into religious ones and secular ones. Let's have a look at the religious one first. What would it mean to connect to a religious vine apart from the Christian faith? We see every other religious system, faith system, a standard is given, right? Live up to this. A standard is given and a set of rules or principles in order to try and meet that standard. Here's the standard. Do your best to live up to it. If you do, you might experience some sort of blessing or salvation, and if you don't, you might experience the opposite. Now, the problem with this is that when we're doing well, when we feel like we we are living up to that standard, what do you think that breeds in us? It breeds pride. And we're often not a very nice person to be around. The Pharisees are a great example of this in the New Testament, prideful. They think they're fulfilling the law, and I tell you what, their heart is hollow. So it can breed pride in us when we think we're doing well. And, and when we think we're not doing well, man, I, I am not living up to this standard. It breeds despair. Now, what happens with most of us is we kind of go from the two extremes, you know, swinging this roller coaster ride, religious roller coaster ride of feeling really good that way we're fulfilling the standard to, oh my gosh, I'm not doing very well and it leading to despair. You see, if we plug ourselves into that, into that vine, to that source of power, the fruit is pride or despair. Now, you don't have to be a religious person to do this, to live this way. There are many other vines we can attach ourselves to in the hope of gaining life, meaning, and power. And there are so many. I mean, careers alone, we could spend all morning just talking about it. You know, if if I just, if I get that job, if I land that position, if I land that senior associate role here, if if I become partner here, if I attach myself to this source of power, to this, then tick. My life will be meaningful. Then then I'll get what I really want. My hopes and dreams will come alive. It can be careers. It can be relationships. It can be whatever it is, networks, you name it. So many different things. We think that's going to bring me life. I'll connect to that. But you see, every single one of these vines promises so much, but the power for it dries up eventually, and the fruit that comes from it is dark and ugly. Let me tell you, I experienced this in a big way, the music industry over in the States. 
And uh, <laughs> this industry is, I guess like so many of them, it's all about who you know, right? That you hear that all the time. It's all about who you know. And it just was so true um, in the music industry. And it became just so apparent in its ugliest sense. In um, GMA week was the Gospel Music Association Awards, you know. It was this big night. We all pat each other on the back. And you get song of the year, a big award. It's on TV. It's a big deal. And around that event, there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of other events that record labels put on, all that kind of stuff that you've got to go to. And it's, it's a schmooze fest, right? It's a networking opportunity. And so you're in a room and there's food and drink, all that kind of stuff, and you're trying to meet people. You're networking people. And I tell you what, it was this kind of, it was so apparent when you're talking to someone, you, maybe an artist or a manager or a record exec, and you're talking with them, having a conversation, and someone else walks in who's more important than you, They'll leave you mid-sentence. It happened constantly. That would, and people, you know, were often looking over your shoulder anyway to see who, who else is there that they can, you know, use. And they just leave you mid-sentence. And we used to joke about it as a band. But I tell you what, I joke about it, but I, I did that for so long until I was soundly rebuked by one of my bandmates for doing this and my wife probably more subtly because I, I don't mind a bit of networking. I don't mind a bit of schmoozing and all that kind of stuff, but I tell you what, it can turn very ugly. I would think, okay, if I just, if I connect myself to that person, that network, then I'll have my hopes and dreams fulfilled. Now, I wouldn't have articulated it like that, but it's true. If I connect with this manager, then we'll line up this tour and this record is it, then that's going to happen. And I would just think if I can connect myself to these people, I will, life will be tick. I will be fulfilled. And let me tell you, the power for that dries up real quick. And the fruit from that is bitter and ugly. American author David Foster Wallace, uh, not a Christian, very, very clever man, shortly before his suicide was, was speaking at a college graduation and said these very powerful words. Talking about the same subject, he used the word worship, but I think we can unpack a similar meaning here. I don't know if you can see that, but I'll read it for you. It's a long quote, but it's worth it. He said this, if you worship money and things, if you plug into that, yeah, that's, that's my source of plug into that. If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, tap into that. That's where it's, it's going to be fulfillment. You'll always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Okay, plug into something else, worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious things about these forms of worship is they're unconscious, they're default settings. What he's trying to say is we can't help but connect to something and this is the simple message of today. Connect to the true source of life, Jesus Christ, to the true vine. Or connect to something else. And the fruit can be hard to live with. Let me ask you, what do you look at and think, that's it? That's what's going to give me the power, life, purpose. What do you look at and just think, if I can just connect myself to this, It'll set me on a course of success, pleasure, and fulfillment. What is it for you? Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch 
can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the true vine, and if we connect to him, remain in him, we find life. Every other vine, if you notice, we've got to make it happen. It's kind of on us. You connect to Jesus, and you receive God's grace. It trickles down because his mercies are new every morning. Okay, but what does it look like? What does it really look like? What does it you know, actually look like to remain in Christ? Well, I think it looks like relationship and responsibility. That's why I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning. A fair bit on relationship. There's a couple of points there, and just we'll briefly we'll look at responsibility. What does it look like, relationship and responsibility? Check out verses 9 and 10. This is mind-blowing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If we connect to the true vine, the relational love, the trinity share, it's extended to you. Now, I reckon that point probably just washed over most of us. It, there is no more profound thought you will hear today, I promise you that. Think about this. God is not one, he is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, and they have been enjoying perfect love and community from eternity past and to, into eternity future. If God was one, singular, he would have had to create us in order to experience love, yeah? And then, therefore, he would have been deficient in some way, but that is impossible. God is not deficient. He did not create us because he needed someone to love. He created us to share in the love he was already experiencing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the Trinity, right? Now, that's a mind bend, but that's the truth. Jesus says, If we connect to the true vine, the relational love the Trinity has been sharing since all eternity past will flow into you. The love of God will flow into us if we remain in the true vine. Isn't that a crazy thought? What else does this relationship look like? It looks like joy. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The result of this relationship of connecting to the source of all life, connecting to the true vine, is joy. Could it be that there is not joy in our lives because we have not connected to the source of life and joy? Now, we know that happiness and joy are different. We know that, right? Happiness is based on circumstances. If you're anything like me, happiness will go up and down. I'm quite an emotional person, and it changes. It's based on circumstances. We get a great cup of coffee from four brothers down the road, probably the best coffee here, and, you know, one of my kids knocks it off my hand. This is not a true story. Okay, it is a true story. And my happiness is taken from me in an instant. But nothing can steal our joy because joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are in him and no one can take that away from us. It is this, under, it's this undercurrent, right? Think about an underlying undercurrent in us of hope because it's based on something that no one can take it away from us. What else does the relationship look like? It looks like joy. It also looks like friendship. You hear that when Jackie read so well for us? It sounds like friendship. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you slaves, friends. Friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Friends. Jesus says, remain in me and enjoy friendship. This is extraordinary. Not only does Jesus love you so much, he went to the cross in your place to die for you, but he also wants to be our friend. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about friendship with Christ? Is it kind of a weird thing that maybe only our Pentecostal brothers and sisters talk about and maybe live out? And It's the truth. Jesus wants to be our friend. I am a friend of God. Have you thought about that? He is our friend. I tell you what, he wants to be with you. He's interested in your life. Have you heard maybe, maybe your parents, I don't know, or maybe you've, you've heard a couple kind of arguing and, well, I love them, but I'm really struggling to like them at the moment. Have you, you've heard of that before? I think I remember my mum saying it to me. I'm, I'm struggling to like you at the moment. That's not God's problem. It's not God's problem. He is interested in you. Jesus wants to know the intimate details of your day and of your life. The thing is, though, I think many of us just struggle to believe this. Or maybe we believe it here, but we struggle to live it out. We psychologically struggle to believe it. We find it hard to think this way in how we approach our relationship to God. But here's a sentence. Jesus says, I want you to remain in me in how I feel about you, not how you feel about me. Can I say that again? Jesus says, I want you to remain in how I feel about you, not how you feel about me. Here's the problem. Let's do a little experiment. I'll ask you a rhetorical question. Don't feel like you have to yell it out. Please don't. I'll ask you right now. How do you think God feels about you in this moment? If I asked you, how does God feel about you, how would you answer? What would you say? Let's do it. Think about it in your mind. God feels about me. How many of you said or thought disappointed? How many of us struggle with that idea? God is disappointed in me. How many of us just think, I've been My prayer life's been pretty on and off lately, pretty hot and cold. I reckon God's kind of disappointed in me. All my Bible reading's been pretty haphazard. I lost my temper with my friend the other day. I've been thinking some pretty average thoughts this week. I reckon God's kind of disappointed in me. How many of us think that? It's just total rubbish. God is not disappointed in you. He delights in you. The Psalms say the Lord takes pleasure in his people. See, how God feels about us, it's not based on our performance, but on Christ's performance. I guess it is performance-based, but not on our performance, on Christ's performance. And did he perform pretty good? Not only did he go to the cross, die in our place, a substitutionary death, die the death we deserve, he rose from the dead, And his righteousness is imputed, it's imputation given to us. So it is credited 
to us. So now God looks at us, not based on our performance, but based on Christ's performance. And what, do you think that's pretty good? That's how God feels about you. He's not disappointed thinking, man, oh, I wish he'd get his act together. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter how we act. Far from it. But he is not disappointed in you. I think this next part of this relational aspect of remaining in the vine is very important too. Let's have a look at it. Part of a relationship to the true vine means also that we will be pruned. Did you pick that up from the reading? We will be pruned. Let's go back to the very beginning. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remaining in Jesus does not mean life will be an eternal Instagram post. That's the truth. Many of us know that, don't we? Because it's our lives. There's going to be things in our lives that we don't want to post. In order for God to produce more fruit in our lives, he will cut back. That's what pruning means. You cut back a vine so it becomes more flourishing. There is more life in it. So it produces more fruit. He will shape us, mold us, and most often it is through difficult times, through hard times. Not about you, but the times I've grown most in my Christian life, it's been the tough times. It's been those times when I've felt really raw, where I've just felt exposed. The times when I've just I've felt weak, to be honest with you. The times I've been hurt, hurt by other people justly or unjustly. Times I've done things to hurt myself. Maybe betrayed or let down. Now, I'll be honest, do I want to experience those things again, even though I kind of, well, I know that they were good, I know God used them to grow me, but do I want to experience those things again? Not really. I'll be honest with you, no. Like many of us, I kind of want to choose the path of least resistance sometimes. But the way God shapes us, molds us, changes us, changes our character, is through hard times. James 1 says, consider a pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. A mentor of mine, when I was going through one of these moments, I was just pouring out my heart to him, probably having a good old whinge. And he said, mate, I just want to encourage you to pray, seek God and say, Lord, you got my attention. What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to change me, mold my character What are you trying to do in me? Let me just encourage you, if you're going through a season, if you're thinking, man, I feel like I am connected to the true vine, but I'm not seeing a lot of fruit, I feel like it's a hard time, maybe that's you. Maybe God is doing a season of pruning in your life. And can I encourage you to persevere? Remain in Jesus and fruit will come. And let me end on this. We have some part to play in this process. There is some responsibility you see, ultimately, of course, we have the choice of what to plug into, don't we? Right? Of what vine to choose. But when we choose to plug into Jesus, this means plugging into what God says about us and our world, doesn't it? By dwelling in his word and in prayer. Now, it's that picture of the person in Psalm 1, isn't it? We heard it earlier this year. What, what is the blessed life? What does what the blessed person look like? It's the one who delights in all that God says. 
who meditates on what he says day and night. That person, what are they like? Well, they're like a tree planted by a stream of water, a never-going-away substance of life. And what does it look like? Well, they bear fruit in, every se- in season, and their leaves look healthy. Everything that person does prospers. It means having the word of God saturate our lives so in this crazy busy life we can remember the truth. Colossians 3.16, it's one of my favorite verses. I love it. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't you love that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when this happens, we have deep resources to build our lives on so we can live in a crazy busy city like Sydney and still have this underlying current of goodness to tap into, and we can be renewed day by day by this truth. You see, every day we're bombarded with messages. I forget the exact number, but I think it's something like every single one of us in a city like this is bombarded with about 4,000 advertisements a day. Think about that. 4,000 advertisements a day. You'll hear countless opinions about what you should do and who you should be. Every day, what you should base your life on, what you should think about yourself, how you should improve your look, your life, your priorities. Every day, you and I are going to be tempted to find meaning, satisfaction in so many things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let his voice be the loudest in our head. Let his voice be the loudest in our head. Because our identity, or at least how we, what we think about who we are, is totally dependent on it. Let me finish with this. Um, I remember with, where um, our daughter, Bella, she's six now, when she was like two or three, she was starting to draw, right? And she, she, anything they do, they're just so excited to show you, right? And so I remember the first few times she did this drawing, and let's face it, it's a couple of squiggles of lines, right? It's pretty terrible. Don't tell her I said that, but it was. And it's a two or three-year-old, and they're drawing, and she, she brought it to me, you know? She'd bring it to me and go, Daddy, look! Look what I've done. And I kind of made the mistake of going, oh, what's that? And you could just see her face drop. You could see the disappointment on her face because I didn't realize that it was supposed to be me riding an elephant or something (laughs) because it was a couple of squiggles. And uh, she just longingly wanted my approval. It's the kids don't hide it very well. And so now I've, I've learned to say, well, that's amazing. Tell me about it. Can you tell me about this drawing? So instead of saying, what's that? It's a, tell me about it. There's, it's a free, free tip for you parents out there. And, and for everybody, that the kids come out from Sunday school and they show you, look, you can say, wow, tell me about it. There's a tip for free. I tell you what, they say your sense of worth comes from the person you value most. Our sense of worth comes from the person you value the most. It's so easy to see it in our kids because they're not that sophisticated. Oh, we are, of course. Not really. But our kids, they don't hide everywhere. All the time, they are looking to the people they, our kids, they value the most, our Pip and I. And even when I commend one of them on something, the other one, one of them said, what about me? It's just so obvious. They don't hide it very well. Part of our role is actually to point them to the one that will never let them down, but to model Christ-likeness in our parenting too. But we are, we are not that different. We are not that different. 
We long to hear that validation from people we value the most. And when we don't get it, let's not pretend we're pretty crushed. And when we get the opposite, it really hurts. If we remain in Jesus, if we are plugged into the true vine, you will hear the truth about who you are. Let his opinion be the one you value the most. Let that be the loudest voice in our minds constantly. You're a child of God, loved and accepted, not on your performance, which let's face it is up and down, but based on Christ's performance. Child of God, loved and accepted, made in his image, being made more in the image of Christ, and he will not waste any hurt or pain. Let this message be on repeat in your life and be patient for the beautiful fruit that will come. I'd just love to spend a moment now in prayer and reflection. So can I, can I just encourage us, let's, why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes if you're comfortable doing that, or just get in a posture of receiving from God, invite the band up if, you, if they're ready. And we're going to go into a time of prayer and reflection. Let me just, let me just ask, maybe there's some people here today who really recognize, you know what, the vine I'm connected to at, at this point in time, the fruit is not great. It is producing anxiety, bitterness. Maybe we need to do some real business in our hearts. What vine are we truly connected to? What do you need to unplug from? Has the Holy Spirit been stirring in you this morning a sense of, I have been pursuing this thing in my life for meaning, purpose, and satisfaction. It is not God, and it can only bring me pain. Is that true for you? Do you need to connect to the true source of life this morning, the true vine, Jesus Christ? What do you need to unplug from? Maybe that word about performance really hits you that you actually are basing your life on what God thinks about you and how you behave, how you perform? Do you need to be freed from that this morning, that spirit of religion which is totally anti-grace and anti-Christ? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning wanting to experience life because you've promised life and life to the full. We thank you for this crazy, busy series where we get to stop and reflect on what is true and good and also hold up things in our lives that may not be that. Give us spiritual insight, Lord, to discern what is going on in our hearts. Lord, I pray If you've been doing business with people this morning, may it not stop there. May people unplug from any untruth, untrue vines, untrue sources of life and plug into you, Jesus. Help us not to base our life on performance, but on what you think of us, and that is what you think of Christ. I thank you for this community. These are truths that we're going to have to work out together. The Lord help us to do that in the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.